few days ago, amid coronavirus. I said amid there because every second headline at the moment is saying amid. It reports something that's happening, but wants to mention that coronavirus is happening at the same time and the, and, uh, the entire media world has decided that the best way to say that, the shortest way to say that is to say amid. Um, yeah. Italy in lockdown amid coronavirus. <laughs> All right, so amid. But that's not what this episode about is about. This episode is about exponentials and logarithms. Yeah, part two. A few days ago, I did an episode on exponentials and logarithms amid coronavirus. Uh, prompted by the observation that viruses... Uh, yeah, if left unchecked, tend to grow in an exponential way. Uh, while yeah, while there's fresh meat available, yeah, and until such time as oh, yeah, enough of the population is infected, such that the virus can't find new people to infect. But you know, whilst there's plenty of people around, it grows exponentially. Exponentially, a virus. Okay. So, I, uh, just, you know, I don't care much about you know, solving the coronavirus problem. I'm more, look, I'm, I'm full, of, uh, yeah, I'm actually in awe of all the people who are working hard on that, but I haven't got a role in that at the moment uh, because I'm just a dumb software guy. Uh, and look, I work for hospitals and I actually sent an email to my colleagues. Excuse me, there's a motorbike. Uh, I sent an email to my colleagues at the hospital and said, uh, you guys, uh, essentially soldiers, uh, you know, uh, I feel a bit guilty just sitting in my cave in lockdown, hiding from from coronavirus while you guys are out there fighting. So I'm not blind to all of that, but that's not what this episode and this podcast is all about. This episode and this podcast is just about me talking about other things, which you can do even when there's a tragedy on. People do think about other things even when there's a tragedy on. You know, even during the war, you know, you could say um, even during World War One and World War Two, you could argue that... How dare you take an interest in football while there's a war going on and soldiers are losing their lives? You, know, you could you could run that argument, uh, but then, yeah, you know, what are they fighting for anyway? The soldiers, you know? they're fighting because they want to get back home and start playing football again too. And in fact, um, the soldiers in World War One and World War Two. Uh, were um, following the football back in Australia very keenly. um, They were um, gathering around for information, you know, about the latest scores from the football. You know, the, the, the the heroes themselves cared about the football. That's why you care about it. You can talk about other things. Um... Besides, you know, just um, uh, navel-gazing at only the tragedy, you know. This is, the tragedy is not own, the only thing that life's all about. All right, something like that. But anyway, 
Uh, and, and in wartime, you know, people read poetry. The soldiers read poetry. Um, and so on. Look, when, uh, when, when um, the Allied soldiers went to Gallipoli, the Australians, the English, you know, and all the rest of them, um, oh, there were a heap of people that, you know, New Zealanders and Canadians, I think. Look, there were heaps of them. Uh, that when they all went to Gallipoli, uh, quite a lot of them uh, carried with them uh, copies of the Odyssey and the Iliad. Uh, because they knew that when they were going to Gallipoli, um, they were heading towards uh, the land where those great, you know, the great Trojan battles were happening in ancient times. And they, they were aware of the significance of the fact that they were going to be doing battle exactly where the ancient Greeks and Trojans were doing battle. You know, people are aware of this stuff. Um, I will get on to exponentials and logarithms in a minute. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, life is bigger than you know, whatever tragedy you're dealing with at any given time. Well, not for the doctors and nurses on the front line, of course. Yeah? Although, although, even when they come home, they w- wouldn't mind, I bet. You know, after 10-hour shifts and all that sort of stuff, they're absolutely stuffed and they're putting themselves in the firing line at risk of coronavirus and some of them are going to die. Doctors and nurses and so on putting themselves in the firing line, putting their lives on the line for the rest of us. It's amazing. But they like to come back and watch the football. Actually, they can't at the moment because the football's been knocked out. Two world wars couldn't knock the football out, uh, but coronavirus has. But, you know, there'll be some doctors and nurses coming back um, and, you know, reading poetry or relaxing by doing some maths, if they're nerds like me, or... Um, you know, reading some poetry or watching a rom-com on TV to relax, you know, um, because that's what they're fighting for, the nurses and the doctors, you know, so we can get back to normal. So we shouldn't stop the normal. We shouldn't stop thinking about the normal. The normal's important. It's what we're fighting for. And uh, the nurses and the doctors are the soldiers at the moment. Yeah, and other people like... Um, well, in, you know, in my personal experience, train drivers and flight attendants and pilots and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, the sorts of jobs some people in my family have got. But also um, there's a lot of other industries, food packers. Uh, you know, people, um, I wasn't aware of this really, but if I had thought it through, I would have been aware of it. Uh, I would, uh, um, the supply chains for all the food we're still getting amazing system the world order at the moment excuse me for a second the world order at the moment has these magnificent and intricate supply chains to move food all around the world so we don't all starve when a virus comes like this comes along you know back in the old days a virus would come along like this and no one could harvest you know no one could pull the asparagus out of the ground and uh, everyone would starve through lack of asparagus you know and um that doesn't happen well that's not happening so far now because our supply chains are so amazing but in that supply chain um you've got a lot of people working too closely together in the uh in the in the getting of the food out of the ground or off the trees and so on you know, in the transporting of that food, you know, for processing, um, in the tr- in the transporting of that food in trucks, 
you know, to shops and all that sort of stuff. And in people manning the cash registers in supermarkets and so on to sell that stuff to customers coming in who go cough and kill them. You know, this is all happening. These are the soldiers too, the truck drivers, the supermarket attendants, um, the, you know, whoever it is doing the grape picking and the asparagus pulling, you know, all that stuff. You know, these are all the soldiers. But what are they doing it for? They're doing it for so we, yeah, we're keeping it going so that um, we're keeping all the normal thoughts going because we're bigger than the virus, or we hope we are anyway. Um, so it's not bad to talk about all these things. And now it's, um, I'm finally ready to talk about exponentials and logarithms again. Now, um, a few days ago, as I mentioned, I did an episode on exponentials and logarithms, but you wouldn't believe this, I got sidetracked. Started uh, chatting about other things and telling funny stories and everything. Everything but the maths. Look, I wove the maths in, but you know, I'm here to talk about exponentials and logarithms again uh, because uh, I'm inspired to. Because I showed somebody some exponential, uh, some uh, well, some exponential growth of the virus uh, displayed on a logarithmic scale, and that person said to me uh, that graph makes no sense to me at all. You know, because the graph showed um, that the virus in, now where was it, the UK is, you know, by looking, when you looked at the graph, it looked like it was, uh, the, the virus was growing according to a straight line. Whereas we know that the virus has been growing in an exponential way, you know, that exponential sort of growth that we're used to, where it starts off slow and then it explodes, shoots up. That's the sort of graph we're looking, you know, that we're used to. When someone says to me, um, the, uh, there's a virus in the UK and it's spreading exponentially, you know, in my mind I'm thinking, ah, well, if I was to graph that, it would, um, it would, it would travel along slowly for a while along the x-axis sort of thing you know and then start to rise up and then suddenly you know suddenly yeah suddenly start to just shoot up you know really fast you know so that after about four or six weeks but after about two months the graph is nigh on vertical you know like the number of cases the number of people getting infected every three days if you like um is thousands so, yeah, the graph is just shooting up, you know. Anyway, I, I showed my friend that same graph, you know, the graph that starts off slowly and shoots up. I showed her that same graph on a logarithmic scale. Um, now, what that means is, um, uh, you know, like on a normal graph, the, uh, on the y-axis, you've just got how many cases there are. 1, 2, 3, or 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400, but it's nice and regular, 500, 600. But on a logarithmic scale, now, when you plot something on a normal graph, it an exponential growth <clears throat> on a normal graph, you get that familiar exponential look. It makes sense. You know, it starts off slowly and then it explodes on the graph, the actual graph, you know, the line. It's a curvy line, and it explodes. Now, on, an, on a logarithmic scale, what, what they do, and I'll get into this later, what, what they do 
is um, the scale on the left, you know, on the y-axis, they make, that's, they make the number of cases explode on the scale, you know, on the actual y-axis. The num- so after, after one centimetre going up the y-axis, you've got, um, let's say, 10 cases. Oh, sorry, one case. You know, you've got one case going up the y-axis, right? Uh, you know, at the one centimetre mark on the, on the graph paper. And then at the two centimetre mark, you've got 10 cases. See, it took a whole centimetre to get to one case and then another centimetre to get to 10 cases. And then another centimetre up, you've got 100 cases. And then 1,000 and then 10,000. What's happening is the explosion in the number of cases of coronavirus on this graph, this logarithmic scale, the explosion is happening on the y-axis such that when you start drawing the number of cases on the graph you know the line um every time you go a centimeter to the right which might represent every three days say in time every time you go to the right um you know after after the first three days there's only one case right let's say (laughs) Um, That's the guy that ate the bat, you know what I mean? So, you plot a dot point one centimetre up. A week later, oh no, sorry, three days later, there's ten cases. So you've got to go two centimetres to the right and two centimetres up. Because remember, the scale on the y-axis is exploding. Um, So what happens is, you've got another dot point, which is two centimetres to the right and two centimetres up. And then after another three days, there's a hundred cases. Oh my goodness, the graph is not exploding. You know the actual line you're drawing? It's now three centimetres to the right and three centimetres up. Um, And it turns out that if you keep doing that, even if you get to a billion cases, you know, after, I don't know how many, let's say 50 um, 50 centimetres to the, to the right, you know, 50, 53 day periods. Let's say there's a billion cases. Well, the graph is still travelling in a very neat and tidy straight line. You know, 50, it'll only be 50 centimetres to the right and 50 centimetres up. And if you stand back and look at that graph, it's just a boring straight line. But it represents an explosion in the number of cases. Yeah, uh, but it, but it's but it, it represents it as a straight line. It represents it neatly. And as you stand by and look at it, behind and look at it, you say to you, stand back and look at it. You sort of say, now that just looks like a straight line. Um, but then you look at the y-axis and you say, oh my goodness, the scale, the number of cases on the y-axis is exploding. That straight line, even though it's straight and looks boring, that represents an explosion in the number of cases. So if I see a straight line on this graph, I know that the virus is going nuts. A straight line on a logarithmic scale is a representation of a virus going back gangbusters. Now, why would you bother making a logarithmic scale? Well, you've got two graphs here. You've got one, which has got a normal scale, and after about five sort of three-day periods or ten three-day periods, the graph is not even making sense. It's just shooting up vertically. 
you know. And what's the point of a graph? Well, the point of a graph is to tell you what's happening. Well, on a normal graph, you can't see what's happening. You just got this great big, huge vertical line going straight up, pretty much. And it doesn't matter if it's a billion cases or two billion cases, you can't tell um, because it's pretty nigh on vertical anyway. Normal graph paper is a waste of time. The graph is not telling you anything just by looking at it. It's not telling you anything after about 10 weeks have gone by. It's not telling you anything. It's a waste of time. And what is the purpose of a graph in the first place? It's to tell you what's going on. So a normal normal graph paper is a waste of time. So we switch to this logarithmic scale, this other graph paper, and suddenly it starts to make sense. I'll describe this a little bit more later. Okay, I'm back. Now, what's the point of even bothering to plot virus growth on a logarithmic scale well what you can do is you can imagine to yourself what if the virus is doubling every two days for example now what happens there is um you plot that and it's a it's a lovely sort of um straight line you know it might be a just a bit more than 45 degrees you know and it doesn't matter even if it goes to a billion cases in 10 weeks um you will just have this nice gentle straight line and it will be beautifully straight you know no explosion yeah so you've got this straight line and that represents a virus maybe not this virus but a virus that doubles every two days and then you might decide to say well what if you know imagine a virus that doubles every three days you know you draw that on the same graph paper, the logarithmic scale, you know. And that, that also will be a straight line, but it won't be as steep. You know, maybe that will be at 45 degrees, you know. I'm not sure. Um, okay, so you've got two straight lines, you know. And you sort of say, listen, you know, uh, yeah, and you can do one that, you know, doubles every four days and five days. And you can have all these straight lines, but, you know, you've got, you got a few little guidelines there, you know. Um, and then you say to yourself, now, I wonder how fast this virus is tracking you know exploding you know in my country you know and you might look at italy and you say oh my god it's going faster than every once every two days you know uh, uh, it's going faster than doubling every hang on just a sec it's going faster than doubling every two days it's really exploding in italy and then you look at singapore and you say oh my goodness that's below, you know, that's at a, a gentler pace. You know, you plot the real-life Singapore data and you see that it's lower on the graph. You know, it's still a straight line-ish because it's still exponential and it's doubling um, less than, you know, four times. Uh, sorry, every four days. It's doubling at a slower rate than even every four days. And look at that, it's leveled out already, you know? So that's the difference, you know, you can actually see what's happening. You can compare Italy to Singapore and you can just look at the graph and say, Italy's going at about, you know, it's doubling every, what, one and a half days. And Singapore, Singapore started off doubling every five days and then leveled out really quickly. All right, I can exactly see what's happening there. I can compare Italy to Singapore. Now, try and do that on normal log paper and all you see is Italy just exploding. 
you know, just a vertical line. And you can't even, you, you know, you can't say whether that vertical line is a little bit faster than two days, one day. You've you got no idea. What is the purpose of a gra- piece of graph paper? It's to tell you what's happening. And um, ordinary graph paper in the, on this occasion with Singapore and Italy on the same scale, well, Singapore will just be this flat line way down the bottom and Italy will be exploding. Uh, you won't be able to look you won't be able to see what is going on because the the two lines on the graph paper Italy versus Singapore are just too wildly far apart um, they look ridiculous but on logarithmic scale ah, there you can compare Italy versus Singapore against these trend lines that show you normal exponential growth. Yes, exploding, but represented as straight lines. Much easier to see. And that's the whole point of graph paper. You don't have to like it or not, but do you want to see what's happening or not? If you want to see what's happening, choose the logarithmic scale. If you don't want to see what's happening and you're just saying, no, don't like that, then go and use the ordinary graph paper and it will tell you nothing and just, you know, enjoy knowing nothing about what's going on and that's 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 the reason we use logarithmic paper well 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 i saw maleficent recently with my son he loves it that's got nothing to do with this episode i just wanted to say well 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 uh well 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 here's the coincidence my friend whom I mentioned, who doesn't like maths. I met her down the street. We're all in isolation and lockdown and all that stuff. Uh, However, we do go outside, and we go outside in isolation. Uh, So, yeah, she had her kids and I had my son, and um, we all had a very rare moment of socialising. But we stood at opposite ends of the footpath because it's been weeks since I've come close to anybody and that's what lockdown's all about. It's not really lockdown, it's isolation. We might go to lockdown later. Anyway, I saw her down the street. Um, So that's relevant for this episode. Uh, And I mentioned that I had just made that this episode. Uh, I was actually actually speaking it as I was heading down the street and... um, and I just pressed stop, but there, and there she was. Okay, so, and I said, I've, I've made this episode about exponentials and logarithms. You know, it's the second episode I've made on that. And I said, but I'm, I'm not going to send it to you because you're not interested in maths. And she said, that's right, I'm not. I was like, that's all right. I'm not interested in poetry. You know? So, yeah, and she said, I'm not interested in poetry either. Uh, but there are things that she's interested in. And there are things that I'm interested in, and the things I'm interested in, nobody else is interested in. That's why I'm making a um, a podcast by myself, for myself, and this is it. Uh, okay, now, um, so, but I did mention it anyway, and I said, um, oh, I just, uh, you know, you said in a text to me earlier that um, you simply don't get the maths of looking at, well, you don't get the graphs, you know, because I sent her a graph of four countries and how they are faring, and it was the UK, the US, Italy and Spain, uh, how they are faring 
amid coronavirus. And, um, but they were on a logarithmic scale, and she said, I just don't get those. I said, well, I've made an episode that explains it, but I'm not going to send it to you, okay? And she said, great, yes. <laughs> don't send it to me, I don't want to know. Yeah. When I said I didn't get it, what I meant was I didn't want to get it. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, and it's a funny, you know. And, and then it occurred to me that, um, that, of course, you know, pretty much nigh on almost all of us are good at some things and are into some things and not at other things, you know. Uh, so, um, Paul McCartney, good at writing music, you know. Um, but rubbish at, um, at being um, not a prat. Uh, me. Oh, just great at making podcasts. You know? But no good at not being a prat. You know? And um, my friend, whom I mentioned just then, who would say this to you herself? Really good at uh, lots of different things I couldn't I could go into. Look, she's good at hum- um, psychology, human behaviour, um, people, you know, analysing people and all this sort of stuff. Um, she's really good on the humanities side of things, um, but by her own admission, hates maths, and that kind of goes hand in hand with not being good in at maths, and it's almost like chicken and egg, you know. And I said to her today, I said, you know what? If you were fascinated with maths, you know, you'd be pretty good at it because she would. She's got a really good brain, and and she said, yeah, that's probably right, you know. And I and I think it is right, you know, um, that often. And I don't know what's the chicken and what's the egg. You know, like, take her, take me in poetry, for example. Is it the case that I'm hopeless at poetry, and that is, I'm even hopeless at getting it, let alone writing it? Is that because I, I'm not interested in it? You know, if I really started, studied poetry and how to write it and how to, how to um, understand it, would I be good at it? Well, maybe, you know, I have no idea. Uh, I'm not sure that I would uh, be good at feeling the poetry. You know, a lot of poetry is emotional. Look, a lot of poetry is not emotional. I'm sure. Anyway, uh, you get where I'm going with all of that. But what we tend to do, and this is just a side thought, nothing to do with this episode. You know, I've just gone off on a tangent here. Um, when we are good at something, you know, we kind of measure our own intelligence, maybe by how good we are at that thing. Well, let's say you've got a suite of things that you're good at, maybe five. Yeah, everyone's good at five things, surely, unless you're really brain dead. But, you know, everyone's really an expert at five things. Yeah. Um, let's say, imagine, you know, except polymaths. They're good at about 50 things, you know. Uh, but the average person, good at, good at about five things. Right. And... One is inclined, I think, to measure one's own brilliance by how good one is at those five things. And those five things might be playing basketball, making rap music, um, being inspirational for the world, being an activist, uh, analysing human behaviour, being good at quantum physics, um, driving trains, fixing cars. It could be anything, absolutely anything. Um, train spotting, yeah. Um, so 
we tend to be, you know, like if, if you're good at something, and you might say, this is a measure of intelligence. You know, do we do that a little bit in our minds? That um, if you are good at um, studying politics and human behavior and social science and all that sort of stuff on a global scale, you know, you are good at getting on Facebook and saying wise things when it comes to you know, how this world could be a better place. You know, let's say you're a rapper, for example. You know, let's say you're Kanye West or something, someone like that. You know, and you you come up with all these ideas that are, are genius. You know, and everyone who comments on everything you say says you are a genius. You know, there's a there's a um, risk that one could start to believe that. You know, but you're probably only really good at in a very narrow. Um, way, you know, you're very good at some things, you know, narrow spectrum, um, but if the world doesn't need that, which you are good at, at a given point in time, suddenly you're nothing, and you're nobody, and you're irrelevant, you know, take, take all the inspirational Hollywood style people, for example, I mean, you could take me, I'm a good example, I'm nigh on irrelevant all the time but so leave me out but someone who's absolutely amazingly useful and interesting and inspirational and wise and smart and you know stands up at the Oscars and says it's a privilege to be me uh, I, I am humbled and privileged by being me uh, in as much as I can give advice on how, how what a bastard Donald Trump is and have millions of people listen to me and I accept this privilege with humility and um, it breaks my heart thinking how what a, what a saint and a wise person I am, you know, and all that sort of stuff, the sort of speech you get at the Oscars. G'day Meryl, you know. Um, now, when there's not a virus around, for example, you know, everyone, you know, there might be a flood of people online saying, that Meryl Streep she's amazing, you know, she is probably the most important and valuable person on this planet today. You know, or they might say that about um, Paul McCartney. Well, oh, no, not Paul. Um, they might say that about um, John Lennon. You know? Or they might say it about Kanye West or Beyonce. You know, Beyonce is the single most important person on this planet right now. She's an inspiration to millions, you know. And then a coronavirus or something comes along and suddenly she's nothing. Absolutely nothing. I haven't actually heard the name Kanye or Beyonce or Meryl. Uh, they haven't. There hasn't been any mention of those people for months. In you know, in mainstream media, I don't see social media. Look, if you're the if you're Kanye's friend on Facebook, of course you're still going to be conscious that he exists. But if you're anyone else, you know, just in the mainstream media, look, he used to be in the papers. Um, you know, last year he was in the papers. There was a little mention of him at least once every week. You know, Kanye thinks this, Kanye thinks that. You know, he mattered, but now. In the age of coronavirus, suddenly he's nobody. He's nothing. He's, you know, he's got this sort of thing. He's a bit like little Richard. Uh, I am the most important person on the planet. You know, that, uh, it's a bit of a shtick. You know, I don't think Kanye actually believes that. I think little Richard might. Little Richard is very much a Donald Trump. If you've been watching Donald Trump and you're watching Donald Trump's style, 
um, and you understand how Donald Trump ticks, you're watching Little Richard, by the way, in a lot of ways. But I'll explore that no further for now. But I've followed Little Richard all my life. He's a, a massive egomaniac and he's amazing. Donald Trump's amazing too. You know, fascinating. Uh, but anyway, um, but um, someone, you know, when Meryl Streep was standing up at the Oscars not too long ago and being entirely, entirely relevant, um, right now in the age of coronavirus, we don't, most of us don't want to hear from anyone from Hollywood. You know who we want to hear from? Medical people, you know, um, vaccine inventors. Suddenly they're the, they're the big deal. Kanye and Beyonce and Meryl and Paul are nothing, but you know, suddenly I'm, um, I'm listening to the news, um, hearing uh, virologists speaking, and they're the big deal in the world at the moment. And the pol and politicians who you know, and medical people who are trying to manage the virus and all that sort of stuff. Suddenly, um, Kanye West is nothing, and Scott Morrison, our nerdy prime minister, is a huge deal, much more important in the world than Kanye West. The chief medical officer of Australia is often is, has been quoted plenty of times on. The BBC World Service, which I listen to a lot, but the point is he's been broadcast around the world and everyone's listening to him. Our, you know, and the Chief Medical Officer of the United States and, you know, people are listening to these people. These people are extremely famous and important all of a sudden. And people like Meryl Streep and everything, look, uh, listen, all of you guys just retreat into your mansions in Beverly Hills um, and just stay there. We don't want to hear from you until all this is over. You know, don't, don't, please don't put out posts. You know, Harry and Megan, we don't want to hear from you. You know, we don't want to post emerging from your Instagram account saying, this is a time when we all must show compassion for each other. We don't want that. You know, we want to hear from someone who knows how to make a vaccine. That's all we want to hear. Um, this episode went off on a tangent just then, but, uh, that's what my episodes do. End of that episode. After I'd spoken the foregoing earlier, uh, my mind started to expand the idea of... Um, the way you can tinker with the x-axis and the y-axis when graphing, you know, and, you know, like we tinkered with the y-axis in this episode to render an exponential curve straight, to turn it into a straight line. So that, um, so that you know, if uh, we observe a real life scenario that we think is exponential, it becomes easy to see how that real life you know, happening 
compares to a straight line as rendered. Um, All as a result of tinkering with an axis on a graph, you know. Um, It's a little bit like, um, you know, tinkering with the axis of a graph to make a curvy line go straight is to somehow um, normalise that curvy line, you know. I always remember, and this was a long time ago, a, a physics teacher or a maths teacher, I can't remember who it was, um, putting a bead on a wire. Uh, it was a bendy wire, you know, uh, you know like a coat hanger wire. And um, it had an odd shape, you know. He just bent it this way and that and all that sort of stuff, you know, into a, whole lot of, into a complex sort of shape. And then he ran a bead along it. And he said, now, if you were to graph uh, the um, trajectory of that bead using a normal um, uh, axis, you know, a normal sort of 3D sort of um, X, Y, and Z axis, it'd be quite complex, wouldn't it? And uh, we said, yes, sir, <laughs> it would be. And he said, imagine doing the formula. And he said, but as far as the bead itself is concerned, it is going in a straight line. It doesn't know it's weaving this way and that. He said, a little bit like a car going from Melbourne to Sydney. Um, That's that's kind of a complex... uh, Up and down and around and all this sort of... It's a kind of a complex journey but as far as the car's concerned as far as the speedo's concerned the car's just going in a straight line it doesn't care whether you're going up hills and down hills you know and veering left veering right turning left turning right and all that sort of stuff and i thought all right so the journey between here and sydney you know melbourne and sydney is from a car's perspective um just a straight line yeah. And what you can do is turn curvy lines into straight lines. It's a transformation is what it is. You know, you're kind of transforming a curvy line into a straight line to make it simple. Um, and, um, and this is what we were doing with that graph, the exponential graph. Uh, you know, you can do it. You can just say, let's... Let's just turn that into a straight line, right? And compare other growths. You know, let's just have a perfect exponential growth. You know, graph a perfect exponential growth, and then compare um, other real life graphs to that perfect exponential growth to see if you know, for example, a country has a virus that's. Um, exploding faster than exponentially or slower than exponentially you know you know or to be able to easily see if um, certain measures you're putting in place to try and control that virus are working you know if it if the graph starts to flatten away from 
the straight line that represents an exponential growth. The straight line that represents an exponential growth. You know, that's uh, maths just starts to blow my mind. You know, if you just think about things in a different way, um, there's millions of transformations in maths. You can just make them up. What you can do is turn a complex formula or a complex graph, you know, or a complex um, a complex journey by a bead on a wire or a car between Melbourne and Sydney into a simple straight line, you know, and then compare something else, you know, to see uh, against that. You know, there's a lot of things you could do in maths, but you have to be into it, you know. And now, um, the level to which I've gone into it in my life, mathematics, how deeply real mathematicians go into things. Yeah, the ones who have changed our world, changed our lives. There are geniuses out there and um, the level to which I even can comprehend these tricks you can play with mathematics or, you know, some people call mathematics, you know, a beautiful thing. You know? I've only scratched, I've scratched only the surface of what's possible with mathematics. I'm close to an ignoramus. Ignoramus? Ignoramus. I'm close to an idiot in terms of comprehending what's possible with mathematics. Or, you know, I had the... Uh, in terms of appreciating the beauty of mathematics. All I can do is sit here and say, listen, I was really impressed um, with what you can do, how you can make a difficult exponential curve look simple on an exponential uh, or logarithmic scale which is an exponential scale as well, depending on which way you look at it, I suppose. Um, yeah. and, and I know that that's like grade one complexity compared to um, what a lo- real mathematicians can do. And I wish I could have a whole new life with a much better brain so that I could really dig in and appreciate mathematics. But I'll never be able to in this life because I don't have the brain power and I'm already too old to... Look, maybe when I'm 80 I'll give it a crack, you know, when, I'm, when I've got some time. I'll never get there. So that's that. Mathematics fascinating. Uh, you know, in the episode, in the foregoing, we tinkered with the, um, the markings on the y-axis to, to render an exponential curve and turn it into a straight line you know to render it straight you know um and it occurs to me that you could have other complex shapes that are not exponential but something else um and you could tinker with the y-axis on them too and straighten them up and then compare other curves to those it goes on and on and on yeah mathematics um, I would do plenty of episodes of mathematics if I understood it. But that'll do for that one. Far out. Right on.
long queue. And just after I spoke that segment, I put the BBC on in my ear. On the news, it came up that one of the most complex problems in mathematics has been validated. You know, it came through on the news. And uh, the reporter went on to say, the ABC conjecture, whatever that is, I have no idea, um, has been validated. Someone has just spent the last 30 years validating it. And it's now locked in. You know, so I've seen it for the last 30 years. The uh, Wikipedia and encyclopedias before that, before Wikipedia came along, have been saying this is an unsolved or unvalidated problem in mathematics. A conjecture that has been put up by somebody. Someone has to be smart enough to even put up that conjecture. It's just mathematics on a level that someone with my brain power will never comprehend. How would I even come up with a conjecture like that? You have to know a lot about it. You have to come up with a conjecture. Surely. These people are amazing. They're a long way from apes. I'm closer to the apes than these guys, as far as I'm concerned. These guys um, are closer to God. Beethoven will use these days, he wouldn't find it too hard <coughs> um, music like, um, you know, Hey Jude, you know, that would be, you know, <laughs> that would be remedial music complexity-wise for him, um, but turn that on its Even for this music. Um, 
there's no possibility of him writing something like you know, Beethoven's Nine. It's an impossibility. Um, and even he would never spell it. Maybe Wolfgang Dutch was born with Mozart-like potential, you know, as did Mozart, of course. Um, just the sheer effort of training Mozart and Beethoven to become um, the fully fledged genius they were, major and Beethoven can do, but he can do what I can do, but says, you know. And I think I'm going to do, and you love that. 
saying, you know, what's the difference? Democracy really is, you know, it's just a matter of how many people are voting for who's best, you know. Um, it's really just a matter of opinion, it's a matter of taste. It's not far more than that, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, you know, people have opinions and people say, wow, you're a genius for how well, how many good opinions you have, you know, your insight into um, people and all that stuff. You're a good observer of uh, people. You know, you read people well. Um, but I'm not sure that that necessarily has a lot of practice. You're pretty much just rehashing stuff you've heard yourself anyway from other people, you know, because it's just a constant discourse um, with other people. And, you know, if you get onto Facebook and everything, you Whoever this mathematician was who solved this ABC conjecture or validated it, whatever the hell it is, the point is that mathematician you know, could get onto Facebook and you, know, you could um, uh, give him the wisdom of your mind, you know, how to be Zen, how to um, how to live a happy life, how to find yourself, all this stuff, and then you can get and all that sort of stuff, and he'll listen to you and say, actually had those thoughts myself probably. And um mm, alright, so I you know, I can't I easily comprehend what you're saying. Um uh, would you like to comprehend what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll describe to you how I have solved the ABC conjecture. Whatever that is in mathematics, apparently it's one of the most complex mathematical uh, problems. Yeah. That is it. and study maths for 20 years to even know what the hell you're talking about. So it's not a This person does a lot of bad things all the time. He's not on a guru of observing the way people tick and all that sort of stuff. What a, you know, like clever. Really good. Says smart things all the time. Smart guy. Smart person. Always putting really good opinions on Someone who can do mathematics can also do all that humanities. Most likely, you know, not a lot of mathematicians can follow up. Um, there are a lot of mathematicians that can do the human stuff as well, you know, observing human nature, uh, seeing trends in politics and all that stuff, and all that stuff of relationships and the way people interact with that sort of stuff. You know, Yeah, but you can do all that stuff, uh, except for the real nerds, you know, like 